Our unison scripture reading is Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. But before we read together, let us turn to God in prayer. Almighty God, we ask that you prepare us now to hear and receive your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to give us understanding and illumination and willing spirits to, to hear and obey all that you say. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So Psalm 51, verses 1 through 19. Would you please read with me? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you have no delight in sacrifice, if I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Hear now God's word as it comes from the book of Jeremiah. God speaking through Jeremiah to the Israelites in the midst of their exile. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the commandment that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to one another, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. 
for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord. When I was a young boy back in the 1960s in South Carolina, South Carolina still sent prisoners out on chain gangs. Some of you are too young to remember chain gangs. These were prisoners that actually wore leg irons around their ankles and were chained one to another. They wore striped prisoner uniforms. And they were chained together in long chains that prevented them from running away or escaping the work detail where they were. And they spent their days literally chained to one another, chained to their crimes, chained to their shame. For all of us who saw them knew. A chain gang came to work in front of our house on our road. They were paving the road and digging drainage ditches beside them, and, and they wore the striped pants and striped shirts. They had chains around their ankles. They were chained to one another all day as they worked. A guard stood over them with a shotgun over his shoulder. And I was fascinated, while also scared to death. Here were all these chain gang prisoners in our front yard. But I went out there enough to see them and talk to them, and they would chat with me a little bit. One of the men turned to me and said, boy, don't you ever do anything to end up in prison like this. Because if you do that, you'll end up in chains just like us, working all day like we do. And they told me horror stories of the prison camp where they lived, and I don't know if they were true or not, but they made a great impression on me as a young boy to say, don't do anything that would get you in trouble to end up on a chain gang. And working all day out in public, chained to one another with stripes. It was a public display of their guilt and their shame. So imagine the feeling of one who had done his time, and the day came when the guard would unlock his shackles, remove the chains, take him to the gate, and he was free to walk out, a free man. Free to walk, free to run wherever he wanted to go. Free from all that at last pleased to do as he wanted to do. He'd been released free at last. That is the joy that comes when you know your sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ, that you are not chained to your past. You have a fresh beginning and can live a new life and do what is right now. You can have that joy when he takes away your sin, your guilt, your fear, your shame, and it breaks the chains of all the old habits that used to hold you back and hold you down. To refuse to believe in Jesus Christ is to put your own feet and mind and even your heart in shackles. Refusing God's love and salvation blocks the joy of God's covenant written in your heart that I'm your God and you are mine. We've been talking about God's covenants and promises these last few Sundays during Lent. And Jeremiah addresses the Hebrew people in exile away from their homeland being punished for their sins, in essence, separated, not knowing if they'll ever get to go home again. And through Jeremiah, God speaks to them to tell them he wants to renew his covenant with them. He wants to deepen the relationship they already have. This covenant is not going to be a code of conduct carved in stone like the old covenant, the Ten Commandments and His promises. He said, this is going to be a living covenant. I'm going to put my word in their hearts. I'll write it in their hearts. I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people. 
They shall all know me. You won't have to teach. They'll know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, they'll all know they are my people, and I am their God, and I am with them. I'm going to forgive their sins, their iniquity, and I won't remember their sins anymore. It's freeing, and you're going to get to go home again as the rest of the story. God is hopelessly in love with his people, and he will not forsake them in exile. And even though they are going to be there for a while, and even though they forget God and they break their covenant, he still is in love with them. The beauty is our Christian religion is not just a philosophy, a set of beliefs and rules. Our religion is a relationship with the living God through Christ. So I looked up the word religion in the dictionary. The root word is from relegare, which means to connect, to tie together. That's what our faith is about, connecting with God. That is what this church family is about, helping you to connect with God and to feel God's presence in your heart and know God's love and grace and mercy and peace in your life. And God's word is with you, and God's promises are true to you. And all will know me, God says, from the least of them to the oldest of them. And though the Lenten season addresses our sinfulness, and it does remind us, we need to repent. Underneath it all is the reassurance of God's love and grace. His arms still embrace us. His faithfulness and forgiveness. His covenant renewed in Jesus Christ problem, even with all that joy, is that knowing sin affects our well-being, even the state of our heart, which brings us to our Bible reading, Psalm 51. David prays, create in me a clean heart, a pure heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. He's not praying that God's going to give him a literal, physical heart transplant, In Old Testament Hebrew concepts, the heart was the seat of your thought, your being, your emotion. It was not just a physical organ that pumped blood through your body. It was the seat of emotions that drive your body and your brain. Emotions are powerful, and though we say we're logical people, most of the time we work out of our emotions. And so he's saying, even my emotions, God, the seat of me, Make it pure again. We think with our hearts. If we were always rational and reasonable, none of us would ever snap at one another or demean other people or sabotage important relationships or or do things that we know are self-destructive, but emotions get the best of us. They drive us to do things we know we shouldn't do. And the results are often dangerous and and destructive. So consider Psalm 51 where David, king of Israel, wrote this psalm. He did a series of prayers after a series of very stupid things. First, he had a sex with a woman named Bathsheba who was married to another man named Uriah and committing adultery with the wife of one of his most trusted soldiers created angst for David, and he was just agonizing, but he thought he could cover it up. And so to cover up his adultery, he arranged to have Uriah killed in battle. And as we know from political scandals, the consequences of cover-ups are usually worse than the event itself. 
The prophet Nathan discovered David's guilt. God sends him to speak to David. And he asked David, tell me what's got you troubled. And he tells this story about a man who didn't want to sacrifice his own lamb, so he stole the neighbor's pet lamb to sacrifice. And he thought he'd gotten away with it, and then it was discovered. And Nathan looks at David and says, you're the man. We know, and David is mortified. It's gonna mean the end of everything he worked for, believed him. So Nathan tells him to throw yourself on the mercy of God and pray for forgiveness. And so he gives us this great psalm. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin's always right there in front of me, and against you I have sinned. I've done evil in your sight. And then he pleads with God, do not cast me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Please restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit, a willing spirit to sustain me. He knew he had done wrong. He knew his heart had overruled his brain, overruled his values, overruled his morals and his ethics. He had let his heart damage the precious relationships with people around him. And even worse, his heart had damaged the relationship he had with God. So he prays for a new heart a new soul almost. This Lenten season drives home to us the reality of our sinfulness and our need for a new heart. And even if we've not created or caused or committed some grievous sin, still our relationships suffer from damage because of negative thoughts, attitudes, words, things that just slip in. We know we need to forgive, Our heart just won't let us forgive. We know we need to let go of our hurts, our grudges, but our hearts won't let us. It just keeps feeding the fire. We know we need to set aside our pride, our resentments, but our heart just won't let us. So we pray with David, oh Lord, give me a new heart. Give me a new heart, please. Is that possible? Can you get a new heart? Can you reprogram your emotions and attitudes? Can we get rid of those negative, hateful, hurtful feelings that well up and overwhelm us? Can we put aside guilt and greed and lust and fear and loathing? Yes, change is possible, but it's not easy. That's why King David asked God, to do for him what David cannot do for himself. Change my heart. Help me to start again. Help me to make amends where I can. If you need a change of heart, pray what David prayed. Created me a clean heart, O God, a new heart. It's the same verb you see in Genesis 1-1 when God created all things. The miracle is that forgiveness is often recreation. God makes all things new. 
and put a new and steadfast spirit, a right spirit within me, he prays. Give me back what I once had, God, when things were going so well and I was doing right. I want to do that again. Give me back my passion. Give me back my determination to live for you. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Let your spirit remain in me, he says, so that I may respond to your gracious choice. Don't let me squander the blessing you've given me, the second chance, the new beginning, the fresh start that you gave me, God. Please don't let me squander that. Give me the spirit. Give me the strength. Give me the power, the power of your love that prevails throughout the day so that Big and Boo can get back home. Give me the power to live the life of love and service to show others what God has done for me and I want to do for you. And as he prays, he then promises, if you will help me get this back, I will teach others who, like me, have broken the covenant. I'll teach them the way that leads back to you so that sinners will return to you and together we'll give you praise and glory. When you tell others about God's grace and what it's done in your life, you are preparing them to receive it too and to know God's love and joy in their hearts as much as you do in yours. I've told you before about my college roommate, Mark Robinson, who lived in Atlanta after we graduated from college, and one day a parrot flew up on Mark's balcony, and he tried all over to find the owner of the parrot, and he couldn't find it, put an ad, circulated word, so he finally decided to keep the bird, and then he tried to teach it, and he would walk by its cage and try to get it to say things and say things and say things and repeat things, not a thing. And then one night, Mark was having a party at his apartment, and somebody's voice there triggered the bird. And he let out a stream of foul curse words. (laughs) And he would not stop. Obviously, the previous owner had quite a different lifestyle, and this bird had changed its habitat, but not its habits. And Mark could not get this bird to stop saying anything but the foul words. So he finally had to give the bird away to somebody who didn't mind it. We are not birds of habit. We can choose to change. We can break old habits and and, and change our sinful ways, but sometimes we need help because asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of wisdom. So I've told you this story before in a sermon 10 years ago. Pardon me if I repeat. It just fits so well. Years ago, when we lived in Tennessee, I borrowed a friend's pickup truck to go to lumber yard to load up with shavings, mulch, to work in the flower beds at our house. So I drove to the nearby sawmill in Ripley, Tennessee, where they piled all the shredded bark out by the road, and it was free for the picking. You just come by and load up your truck. So I backed the truck up, and not realizing what was underneath was a ditch that had been filled with shavings, and in the water, the truck bogged down. And the wheels spun, and I was stuck. And so I got out, and I, I, I put logs under the wheels trying to get enough traction to get out, but it had sunk low enough and was teetering over the edge of the ditch that I couldn't get traction. I tried realigning the front wheels to get so I could get out easier. I shoveled shavings and wood under the truck and tried to dig out where it was lodged. Nothing. I was stuck. And so this good old boy in a pulpwood truck drove by, and he looked at me, and he stopped, and he said, 
Really stuck in there, ain't you? Yes. Embarrassing, ain't it? Yes. And with that, he laughed and drove off. (laughs) I hate being laughed at when I'm looking stupid. But God bless him, another guy came by in a front-end loader, saw what my predicament, what are you doing? Well, I'm trying to get mulch, I'm stuck, I'm, well, hang right there. So he got out a logging chain, connected it to the back of that front-end loader, had me line my wheels, and he pulled me out of the ditch. And once I got the wheels over the edge and had traction, I could get up and go again. He did for me what I couldn't do for myself. But once our truck had traction, I could drive and get out. And he said, what were you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to get some of this mulch over here. Wait right there. So with two scoops of that front-end loader, he had loaded my pickup truck, and I was on my way. So as I was driving back to Covington, here came the pulpwood trucker who had laughed at me. And I just waved and smiled. I had the last laugh. My truck was strong, but it took the power of another, bigger vehicle to get back on solid foundation again. It took getting a new direction for my wheels, so I was not catty-cornered, but I was ready and efficient going straight. It took getting a new foundation for those wheels to bite so they could get up and go places. Are you ready to get up and go places? To put old sins behind you? To fix the things that are troubling you? To regain the hope and strength that is yours in Christ? Christ can set you free. He can give you a new start, a new direction, a new goal, a new aim, a new direction for your life. And the power to change your attitudes, change your habits, change your ways. He can give you what you cannot give yourself. The forgiveness and the freedom and the power you need to break free and to become the person God means for you to be. If you will let him. With Jesus, you need not keep your feet in chains. You are free to change. So chains or change, what is your choice? God, it's all that easy, isn't it? But it's all that hard, too. Help us to overcome everything that holds us back and give us the courage to claim your love and forgiveness again and to start afresh with a clean heart and a new and a right spirit, O God, to the glory of Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.